0: In this moment, we reflect on your holiness. We know that in the scripture, the word holy means to be set apart, to be qualitatively different, to be pure, to be filled with light. Lord, we know that that is who you are. And we're humbled by the fact that you invite us into your presence. And you even offer to extend your holiness to us to share with us your kind of life. Lord, you created us for it. You died to save us from ourselves so that we could be redeemed and live in that life. And right now today, you're inviting each one of us to live a holy life. So Lord, we know you are holy forever and we celebrate that. We look forward in heaven to celebrating that. And every time we sing it and every time we say it, Lord, may our hearts be filled with gratefulness and joy that you have invited us to be a part of it. We're glad today to open up your holy word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you want us to know as a church together and very personally as individuals. Lord, would you empower us, and as we listen for your Holy Spirit's voice, would we hear from you today? In Jesus' name we pray all this, amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you, team. My name is Dan Jarvis. I'm one of the pastors here. If today's your first Sunday with us, I just want to greet you and say we're so glad you're here uh, you're you're stepping into the very end of one story and the beginning of a few others. Today we're concluding our study of the Book of Acts, and we set out a few months ago with kind of an audacious project to read every verse in the Book of Acts out loud in church, and we're all the way at the end of that journey. Chapter 27 today. So if you want to get a head start, you can pull up to the seat in front of you, turn to Acts 27. The other aspect of our time today that we're celebrating is that this day marks the beginning of our fall ministry season. And Zach, a few minutes ago, introduced a little bit of that. But really, for every age and stage, we have opportunities for you to connect and to engage with people, uh, with one another, and hopefully engage with the Lord and into your mission in life. And there are so many different things that are starting right now. So, as Zach mentioned, there is definitely a place for you and for every member of your family. If you would say, you know what, it's fall, the summer is behind us, it's time to get organized, it's time to get things calendared again, this is the moment to do it. Today kicks off multiple classes that you can learn more about God's Word. Today is the beginning of life groups. If you'd like to circle up with a few others and connect with them in homes, we have, I think, 11 life groups meeting across the area. Maybe about 120 people involved in those. Uh, We have multiple children's and student ministry opportunities both tonight. Uh, The student ministries kick off, uh, as was mentioned before, torch for junior high. I'm really excited about that, although I would say I have a little bit of apprehension, having no idea what to expect. We promised the kids a taco explosion. Uh, That is at 530. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but I'm guessing there'll be some cleanup after the taco explosion that we'll have to do. And, uh, and then, of course, high school with Amplify. And then Wednesday night, we have a WANA kicking off for eight, uh, fifth graders and under. Uh, by the way, last, just, just to kind of give a sense of that, I realize we're divided into two services, so we don't always know what's going on across the whole church family. But last week, we had 399 people in church, 77 of those were under fifth grade. Um, and that's, that's exciting when I think about the, the impact that we can make, especially, I mean, we want to make impact on everyone, obviously, in, in Jesus' name, but we also look at kids and students and say that is the key time when their worldview is being formed and when their sense of identity is being forged and when they, many of them are introduced to Jesus, and we want to be as faithful as we can with those opportunities. Um, I've read statistics that would say upwards of 88, even 90 percent of people who ever become Christians do so before the age of 18. And why is that? Well, all the old dogs out there know it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks, right? And the, the older you get, the more stuck in your thinking you become. It's when you're young that you have opportunity to actually see the world and, you know, think before you're kind of stuck in your ways. Now, there's hope for anyone. So if you're if you're not a senior in high school, but if you're a very senior citizen, you're 90 years old or something today, and you say, wow, I, I do feel like I'm stuck in my ways, there's still hope, like Jesus can break through your heart. But, but we would say statistically, the chances of you meeting Jesus and having a vibrant relationship with Him are way higher if you start that discussion as a child or a teenager. Okay, so that's why so many of our church ministries target that age group. And if you would say, you know what, I'd love to be a part of that story, first of all, if you're one of those age groups, come. Like, sign up for this stuff and get involved. Uh, If you would say, I'd love to invest in people in those ways, we would love to talk to you about where you could plug in and make an impact on the next generation. There are lots of opportunities on different nights of the week and Sunday mornings as well. There's lots of ways. Just talk to us. We'd love to connect you to that. All right, so uh, fall ministry season kicking off. Really excited about that. If you would say right now, I'm not exactly sure what that means for me, like I hear I am on Sunday morning at church, but that's all I know to do. Talk to either myself or one of our other pastors or someone with lanyard. We'd love to connect you to an opportunity to go a little bit further in your faith journey than just Sunday morning church. All right? So with that, we'll turn to Acts 27 and wrap up what for me has been a really fun series of seeing just the adventure of what it means to follow Jesus. In the book of Acts, we've read about miracles, we've read about riots, we've seen all sorts of crazy things happen, we've seen amazing, wonderful things happen as people encounter the life-changing message about Jesus and they step forward into life with Him. We see the Holy Spirit at work in people, unlikely people, people like you and me that we would say, like we're not starting out as anything special here, we'll just bring what we have to the table and then God uses people like that and advances his kingdom in ways that we would not expect so we've been asking throughout the summer this question Holy Spirit what do you want to do within us like well if if it's true that your power is just as potent today as it was back then what's the story supposed to be today for you or for me Holy Spirit, how do you want to guide me? How do you want to gift me or empower me or send me? Uh, Where do you want me to go in my life? So you don't have to answer this out loud, but I just would like invite you to reflect. How has the Holy Spirit answered that question for you this summer? So for those of you who started with us in June and you've been tracking this whole series, like we've asked this question like 15 times now. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within us? So how has he answered that prayer for you now sometimes you might say wow I, I i have a very specific sense of like god has called me to move forward in my faith i know what those next steps look like i, I know i've been through seasons of my life where i didn't know the answer to that question and even though i prayed prayers like that i still felt like i wasn't really hearing from god what i should do so maybe you're in a place where you would say i, I really need god to give me some clarity about where to go and what to do my, my honest prayer and expectation really as we get into Acts 27 is that maybe even today as we read God's Word, that clarity will come into your heart. Some encouragement for what the next step of your journey could be and then with what power you're going to face the challenges that will inevitably come your way. So we'll, we'll start with looking at something Paul said to the Roman church before he ever got to Rome. So remember when Paul, in, in our previous narrative, he had, he had been on trial in multiple places, and he finally appealed his case to Caesar. He was, he was in trouble for sharing about Jesus, and not everyone likes to hear about that. So eventually there were, uh, there, there were trials, there were tribulations, and now Paul has appealed to Caesar, and the Roman government is going to send him to Rome to make his case. And we know, because we know Paul from reading this, he's not so interested in making his own case— defending what he's doing, he's looking for an opportunity to share Jesus with the the most important influential people of that time who lived in Rome. You can almost imagine this dream of like, you know, you you, you want to share Jesus with everyone, but you you kind of imagine, wow, if the influencers in the world would see the truth about God, that could make a rapid difference in the world. That could get the word out. So Paul has kind of imagined that if God would ever open the door, he would want to go to Rome and proclaim the gospel in the halls of power at that time. Uh, in their world, Rome was the leading city. It was the leading cultural influence. So for us, it might be like, you know, a mix of Hollywood and New York and Washington, D.C. all together. And you go, wow, if the, that's where all the influencers are. Well, Paul wanted to go and talk to those people about Jesus. And so he wrote to the Church of Rome in AD 57 God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart and spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray is for the opportunity, God willing to come at last to see you. Now, back in Jerusalem, remember Paul appealed to Caesar and the Roman government is now sending him to Rome, expenses paid, and that's where we pick up the story in Acts 27, verse 1. It's going to be a long journey, there's no flights to catch here, so he's going to have either be be a long land journey around the whole Mediterranean Sea region, or they're going to sail through the sea, and that was what they decided to do. 27 verse 1, when the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, the captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, the Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adrethium. Now, just disclaimer here, there's a whole bunch of Greek names in what we're about to read, and I am not an authority on Greek pronunciation, so bear with me. I'll say it with authority, and if you don't know any difference, then you'll think that's how it's said. I have no idea. Um, I'm just going to do the best I can. Um, so here we go. We left on a ship whose home port was Arethium. On the northwest coast of the province of Asia, and it was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, we docked at Sidon. Julius was very kind to let Paul, uh, very kind to of Paul, and let him go ashore to visit with friends, so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. Now, I want you to zoom in on that phrase for a moment and think about what would it feel like if you're in a wind-driven vessel to encounter strong headwinds, how would you feel? I don't know if you've got any sailors out there, but um, that's going to make your journey more difficult, right? What you kind of wish for is a gentle breeze, just sort of pushing you where you want to go, maybe 75 degrees, and you know, the fish are jumping in the boat, so you can eat them, and it's just all perfect. That's not what was happening here, And what we discover is this is the first of a whole bunch of trials that are still coming. You go, wow, hasn't Paul been through enough? Like people tried to kill him, they've stoned him, they've mobbed him, they've imprisoned him, they've flogged him. Uh, Well, there's more coming today because now he's out on the open sea and the sea is not cooperating with the vision of getting to Rome. And so a whole bunch of headwind comes his way. It says, so we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. We had several days of slow sailing. and Sometimes when you're on your life's mission, you think, if only I could get there a little bit faster, but here comes some days of slow sailing. And after great difficulty, we finally neared Snidus, But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salomone. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty, and we finally arrived at at Fair Havens near the town of Lacia. So, so far, how's this cruise going? Not exactly a pleasure cruise, right? At every stop, I mean, notice every other phrase he's noting, like this was not easy, this was not easy, this was not easy, Still facing it with faith. I mean, he knows where he's supposed to end up, but it's not an easy ride getting there. Verse 9, we had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was late in the fall, and Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and to the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and the wind of a typhoon's strength, called a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. So add this to, to Paul's resume of crazy things. He has now faced a typhoon head on. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cotta, where with great. Difficulty. We hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes to around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of citrus along the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. So, this would be a common practice to kind of lighten the ship in theory to not sink. Uh, but it did them a little good. The following day, they took even some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place. So there is biblically, you can say, I told you so. This was going to happen. I told you. Listen. Now we're all paying the price. You would have avoided all this damage," he said, and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God whom of to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, "Don't be afraid, Paul. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in His goodness has granted safety to safety to everyone traveling with you. So take courage." For I believe God, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. So hey, have hope, everything else will be lost, but not you. And we sail on. About midnight, the 14th night of the storm, we were being driven across the Sea of Adria and the sailors sensed that land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found the water was 120 feet deep. A little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid that they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. When the sailors tried to abandon the ship, they lowered the lifeboat through which they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and to the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. They weren't going to disregard Paul a second time this is a guy we trust just as the day was dawning paul urged everyone to eat you have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks he said please eat something now for your own good by the way um, as one who's attempting to diet one of the things that i have noticed is that worry usually makes me want to eat and here are these people were so worried they forgot to eat so I say wow sign me up for that problem but that's the problem they had um Verse 34, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When the morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut the anchors off and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed for shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast, and the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim to shore and escape, but a commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, the others held on to planks and debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. You go, wow, <laughs> a long journey here, and guess where Paul is still not? He's still not at Rome. In fact, they didn't know where they were because they'd been driven blindly by this storm for all these, these days. Verse, 20, or verse 1, chapter 28, Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. Well, after they'd waited a long time and saw he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. So pretty big switch here in uh, their opinion of Paul. Near the shore where we landed, the estate belonged to Publi- Publius, the, public, or the, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, the people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Now I ask you, way back at the beginning of chapter 27, when they were facing headwinds and then the typhoon showed up, did they have on their plan to stop at Malta and have a big healing service and share the gospel with people? No, they didn't have that. But somehow, all that wind and all the battering and all the blowing off course, that all actually meant something. And you, you didn't find out what it meant until he got there. So along the way, every day, there's opportunity. Even when things aren't going according to plan, it's still opportunity. Sometimes, things not going according to your plan means they actually are going according to God's plan in ways you didn't expect. And so here's Paul in Malta making a difference he, was, he never thought he was going to Malta, but God sent him there very clearly. Well, verse 11, it was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed for three days. From there, we sailed on to Regium. A day later, a south wind began blowing, so the following day, we sailed up the coast to Patoli. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so, at long last, we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming, so they came out to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined the three ta- us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival he called together the local Jewish leaders. Now, remember that the Jewish people had been scattered across the Roman Empire previously, so there are pockets of Jews who believe in the Old Testament in pretty much every major city, and so Paul would, you know, as he did in every other city he ever visited, he'd kind of start with those people. They already have some foundation of understanding of who God is and what the Old Testament says, and so they, they're looking for the Messiah. They've read the prophecies. That makes sense to go start preaching to them. So here he is in Rome, same deal. Call those people together. He said to them, "'Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem "'and handed over to the Roman government, "'even though I had done nothing against our people "'or the customs of our ancestors. "'The Romans tried me and wanted to release me, "'but they, they found no cause for the death sentence. "'But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, "'I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar,' even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so that we could get acquainted and so that I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe in the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. So once again, Paul gathers a crowd, starts to preach the gospel. Right? He's not pleading for his life. He's not, he's not worried about the outcome for him. He already knows what God has for him. He, he's interested in completing his mission, which is always to share the gospel. And Paul even said, first to the Jews and then to everyone else. And so in every city he went, that was his pattern. First, I'll try teaching the Jews, and then I'll go to everybody else in that city and teach them as well. Well, verse 21, they replied, we've had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who's come here, but we want to know what you believe. For the only thing we've heard about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So a time was set. And on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said. Others did not believe. After they'd argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through the Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. They have closed eyes. Their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Story as old as time here, right? Isaiah knew it. Paul seeing it again. Some people... It's not that they lack the capacity to understand. It's that they lack the will to listen. Their heart is hard and they don't want to learn. And as a result, it doesn't matter if they see miracles. It doesn't matter if you show them prophecies being fulfilled. It doesn't matter if the truth is plain as day. They don't want to listen. So heaven help the person who is that person, right? Because they can't hear, they can't change, they can't learn unless somehow their heart is softened. So Paul said, you know what? I see exactly what Isaiah was saying because here I'm sharing all this with you. It's super obvious and most of you are still not believing. So verse 28, So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about our Lord Jesus Christ and no one tried to stop him. And there we have a cutoff in an ongoing story, right? Because there's more that's going to happen. But as far as what the Bible records for us in that first century, that's the end of our storyline. For the rest of the story, if you go, well, wait, what happened to Paul? Or what happened to that early church? Or how did churches grow from that point forward? We have historical records. We have general world history, church history to look to. But as far as the Bible's concerned, that's as far up as the narrative goes, so I wanted to zoom in on a couple of things, and I wanted to ask you a question that I hope will encourage you on your journey wherever you're sailing to, okay? So first note that Paul, his, his wish, his prayer did come true, right? He'd been praying for all those years, like, I just would love to get to Rome to share Christ, and look what happens in A.D. 58. So he had written to the Romans in A.D. 57, said, I wish I could come. A.D. 58 or so, he actually gets there. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about our Lord Jesus Christ. Historical records indicate that, that that could have gone on for as long as five years, that he got to be in Rome teaching and preaching uh, under house arrest, but with enough freedom to be able to go ahead and share the gospel with people that were curious. And the, and the, and the Christian message spread through the Apostle Paul. So I think about how resolute he was along the way to get to Rome and yet how many setbacks he faced. You say it was years prior to this, he was wishing he could go. He's finally there, but the the road he took to get to Rome was not a road anyone would have chosen. Mobs, riots, shipwrecks, death threats, all of that happening. just leads me to this question. What's Rome for you? If you think about where your life is going, This could be really specific. Maybe God has actually given you a mission that you're supposed to live and finish well. Uh, Maybe you have an actual location in your mission, like you're trying to get somewhere from here. Um, Maybe it has to do with your family or it has to do with your career, has to do with how you apply your mission in the life that you're living every day. You say, I know that it's out there, like I know God wants me to move forward, but the road that I'm taking, I keep feeling like I hit headwinds. I keep feeling like I have setbacks. I keep feeling like just when I finally get it together, now it's time to throw all the gear overboard and my ship crashes and I have to start all over again. It happens to all of us, right? I was thinking, in what way, how was Paul able to maintain strength through all of that? on the journey to Rome, I was looking back through chapter 27, just noticing all the phrases that indicate difficulty. There's a lot of them. It says, it was hard, we lost time, great difficulty, you know, the wind was blowing, we were off course, we were driven, we lost the anchors. I mean, just on every front, it felt like if if God just wanted him to go to Rome to preach, like, couldn't there have just been a little breeze that just blew him in the right direction? Like, it wouldn't take that long. Uh, But instead, it's this big runaround all around the Mediterranean Sea to finally get to where he started out to go. I say, well, how how did he maintain perspective in all of that? Because he was the only person in that whole crew of 276 on the on the one boat they were on that, that had the perspective even to just think past basic survival. So he was there giving hope to the crew. Like he was captaining the ship in a way more than the captain was. I say, well, how did he do that? And I, and I noticed four things that Paul had. First of all, he stayed focused on the mission. He he knew what he was about. That whether a snake bites me on Malta or we're floating around in the ocean clinging to driftwood or somebody's trying to kill me, I know my mission is to preach the gospel. My mission is to do what Jesus called me to do. And so it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, as long as I stay true to that mission, I'll just trust God in the middle of the circumstances. So his faith gave him strength to do that. Notice that? Well, everybody else is freaking out. Paul didn't have to freak out because God told him, You're gonna get to Rome. You're gonna, you're gonna share this, you're gonna get to share in the court of Caesar. So don't worry, I've got this. Every day he saw it as an opportunity. So he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't so fixated on that future point as to miss daily opportunities to make a difference. And I know sometimes in our lives we can see the big ticket item that's way out in front of us. Like, I'm finally going to graduate, or I'm finally going to get where I'm supposed to go financially, or finally, like, everything will be clear when I get on that airplane and actually go to the place I'm trying to go. That's great. Like, have hope for that. Plan for that. But recognize that today there are opportunities all around you to still fulfill your mission even before you get to Rome. Okay, so Paul embraced that. He lived that. Everywhere he went, he was spreading good news. He knew God was with him. That gave him confidence to face all these trials, all these headwinds. So I was thinking about if I had those things, if you had those things, if your first name was up at the top of this slide, and there it was, Joe stayed focused on the mission. Uh, Heather stayed focused on the mission. Their faith gave them strength. Every day they saw as an opportunity. They knew God was with them what confidence you would bring into your life. And even when you're blown off course, you would accept that potentially as God's redirection. Instead of feeling like you're off course, you would just feel like, Lord, as long as I'm in step with you, as long as I'm living in faith and obedience, I'll just keep trusting that you're guiding my life. I'll do the best I can, but otherwise I'm going to, like the best I can to plan where I'm supposed to go But otherwise, Lord, if things change, I'll just trust you anyway. It gives you amazing faith, amazing confidence to face trials. So at the very end of Paul's life, history records that he was beheaded, likely in the early 60s AD, probably by the emperor Nero, as a part of a sweeping persecution against Christians at that time. So probably the same wave of persecution that also took out Peter, took out Paul there in Rome in the early 60s. So what do we make of that? I think, you know, when you're traveling through life, you tend to think that you're, go, you're, you're teeing up for some sort of a big Hollywood ending, right? That it's gonna be magical and beautiful and happily ever after. Usually you don't think like, I'm going to run hard for Christ, accomplish my mission, and then have my head cut off, right? But that, that's what happened to Paul. Uh, that's where it ended. Now, it didn't end there in a way because obviously he had trained hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people to lead and carry forward the gospel story in all places all across the known world at that time. So his legacy, I mean, the, the message of Paul, that kept, kept, that kept moving. In fact, I was wondering if we could have some sort of a Christian spiritual version of Ancestry.com, and you were able to study back. So, if you go, okay, like, I became a Christian because this person told me about Jesus. Okay, well, who told that person about Jesus? Oh, this person over here. And then you could go back and back and back. I would suspect that probably a lot of us in our lineage as Christian believers, the Apostle Paul is a part of the story somewhere. I mean, He had immense effect on the, the world at that time in the first century and the seeds that he planted along with those other apostles at that time have grown into everything we have now, right? So thinking back going, his, his legacy didn't die with him. Uh, when, when he was beheaded in Rome, it was almost like the beginning of what would be ballooning into millions of people, eventually following Jesus as a result of his life and his testimony. I've heard it said as well that if you were there with Paul at the very end, um, and, you know, it had to be a discouraging day to learn that you were going off to be beheaded and that, you know, it was the end for you. Uh, you would be wishing that you had more time, more daylight in order to share. You realize, okay, the day is done and I, I don't have any more time. And, and you, I, I've heard someone say that if, if Paul was to ask you as a bystander, hey, has this all been worth it? A great answer to him would be in the future, people are going to name their sons Paul and Peter They're going to name their dogs Nero and Tiberius. Um, In other words, the message you're proclaiming in that moment, in that that Roman-centric moment, it felt like Christianity was under siege and it felt like they might win, but they didn't. Uh, Ultimately, the message of Jesus and the gospel won the day and continued on through history and is really an unstoppable force uh, for good all across time. And, uh, and what a joy it is that you and I get to take our place in that long-standing narrative, not knowing where our lives will lead or not knowing what Rome will be for us, but if we stay faithful, we get to have an impact just like Paul did, just like these other first century Christians did. Paul wrote to Timothy in one of the final letters we have, evidence that he wrote, um, at the very end of his life, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. As you can win the same prize that Paul won. If you bend your heart toward the future and you say, Lord, as much as I have breath, as many heartbeats as I have remaining, I want to dedicate those to your mission and the purpose of life and run hard after that. So, we're eagerly looking forward to meeting Christ. We're eagerly looking forward to the tying up of history. But until then, we're faithful and we're running, and we're running hard for the gospel. Um, I really believe that the Holy Spirit can work in you in the same way that He worked in those first century Christians. I believe that all the power is available, all of the miracles are still possible the advancement of the gospel is needed in our generation just like it was needed in their generation, and there are places that we can go, there are seas we can sail, there are decisions we can make uh, that will carry us forward in that story of mission if we have the faith to say yes to God, Uh, if in our lives we're willing to say, Lord, I'm, I'm available, you can send me, you can use me, I'll trust you, even when I face headwinds, even when things don't go the way I expected. Okay, so I wanted to end our series in Acts with the verse that we started with. This is really a theme for the whole book of Acts and a summary of what happens in the book, what happened to Paul, and what could be the story for you, what could happen to you uh, as you walk with Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't know what your Rome is, but if you'll trust in God, He'll get you there. It might not be the way you would select. It might be tougher than you imagined. But if you have faith, God will give you confidence. He'll protect you. He'll get you to that harbor that you're supposed to land in. Uh, Keep believing, keep trusting Him. Don't give up. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within me? I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment as we ask this question once again. For weeks and weeks, Holy Spirit, we have asked you what you want to do in our church, in our families, in us personally. We recognize that you um, have called us out of... The mundane and regular and predictable life that the world offers, and you've offered us an adventure of faith to live. You've given us the power to make a difference in our world. You surround us with your presence and fill us with confidence when we feel like our lives are off track, and all you ask of us is faith that we would believe you enough to obey you. So I pray that we would do that today. Pray for every one of my brothers and sisters in the room. Lord, if there is someone here right now that does feel like they've had a shipwreck or it's time for some sort of reset or that the hurricane force winds are blowing directly against them, I pray that you would give them a fresh vision of where you want to take them and Lord, in the dark nights, the lonely seas that they might face, I pray that they would have courage. Not just from within, not just because they can imagine a better future, Lord, but because your Holy Spirit gives them the faith to keep believing. Lord, in our hearts, we all want to believe our lives are adding up to something important. And whether we get to go to Rome or anywhere else, Lord, our lives are in your hands, would you take our lives? Would you send us in your power? Lord, would you direct our daily steps? I look forward to the opportunities you'll put in all of our pathways, even today, to see your Holy Spirit at work. And Lord, we look forward, all of us, to the day when we get to join you in heaven and shake hands with the Apostle Paul with so many others throughout history who have faithfully served you and who have crossed the finish line. Pray that you use the grace to cross it strong and faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week for the beginning of our new series. Until then, go in the Holy Spirit.